Talks at Afters, where you get access and insights from some of the best in the business. Here at Afters, we are on the land of the Gadigal and the Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the extraordinarily rich 60,000 years of continuous culture that we are so fortunate to have here in Australia. Hello, I'm Nell Greenwood, CEO of Afters. And this is the place where you can find insights from some of the leading creatives in our industry. Directors, producers, podcasters, cinematographers, sound designers, screenwriters, radio makers, and more. All talking about how to make great work in complex times. Welcome to Talks at Afters. If you don't get the resources and the funding, you find ways to make it yourself. You pull together your parents, your family, the dog, your friends, the community. You 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 inspire them about this project or this story that you want to embark on. And you'd be surprised how many people come towards that. People are drawn towards energy. And the people are drawn towards people who are confident and who consistently deliver things that resonate with the world. That's the incredible Maria Tran talking about her work as a writer, producer, actor, stunt person, action choreographer, all as a woman of colour on screen. Maria Tran is an actor, filmmaker and martial artist working across video, performance and action choreography. Her international film credits include Roger Corman's Hollywood movie Fist of the Dragon, Chinese mixed martial arts movie Death Mist and Vietnamese blockbuster Tracer. Maria won the 2013 Breakout Female Performer at the International Action on Film Festival and the 2016 Female Action Performer of the Year at MarshallCon for her role as director-producer on the female-led action comedy Hit Girls. In Australia, she appeared on ABC's My Place, Maximum Choppage, Channel 10's Street Smart, as well as working as a stunt attachment on Jackie Chan's movie Bleeding Steel. Her recent theatre works include the development of Action Star with PYT Fairfield. In 2018, Maria became the recipient of the Create New South Wales Western Sydney Arts Fellowship Award and established the female-led film and art collective Phoenix Eye, based in Western Sydney. In 2019, she became the fight director for Belle Shakespeare's Macbeth, showing at the Sydney Opera House and in the same year is directing female-led action film Echo 8, which she also stars in. Maria was in conversation with Pearl Tan after senior lecturer in directing about creating your own work and space in the screen sector. Hello, Maria. Hello, Pearl. Thank you so much for allowing me to have this opportunity to be on this platform today. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, do you remember how we met? I, I, I actually was thinking back and I can't remember, but it was a really long time ago, but I... We've been in this industry for a very long time. Still <laughs> Look, I've seen you over the years um, for that very long time and I've noticed that you're very resilient, both mentally, uh, mentally and philosophically. How have you stayed focused over the years? For me, staying focused, I think it's a couple of things. I Once I started realising that I'm just not only alone and doing this 
by myself and then I've got other people, you know, other creatives that are also on the same bandwagon. I feel that that's the energy that keeps me going. And and the fact that for me to keep on growing and keep on learning, keep on doing projects and, and advancing myself in my career is just not only for me. It's, it's connected to a network of other people that could also um, benefit from those skills and learnings that I, I go through. Amazing. And so you've you've done all this work. You're very entrepreneurial. How have you built up the resources over the over the years to kind of keep on building because you've grown so much? Started like um, you know any filmmaker DIY you know um, going with a particular uh, you know want of making films and having fun and doing it with a group of friends. So that's how I started. And I, I did that quite a lot um, over the course of many many years on the weekends. And then eventually um, I came to a point where I realized, well, you know, I do kind of not want to have to work in a different field. And how do I sustain myself in this particular field? So I started like just with one camera, with one DSLR and just pitching myself as a filmmaker. I had a couple of people who helped me along the way as business mentors and helped me on setting up a company and all the structures and the operations. And to be honest, for me, it was all very new. Like I, I didn't have the training in that, but I had to really learn very quickly. So if one thing led to another, from one camera to one job spans over to another dozen jobs and hundreds of jobs, um, after many, many years. So I think it's sort of a buildup of, of the jobs that I do and all the little, little projects that I do. And I do it and with the team that I have, we really deliver on the quality um, at a pretty much sweatshop price, uh, unfortunately, because we're kind of on the still on the fringe of mainstream, but we're still giving, you know, um, the, the value of the video work that we promise. So, yeah. And how have you found those collaborators over time, like those people to come and work at those prices for you? I'll be honest with you. Um, a lot of the people that are part of my um, film collective, um, they come from culturally diverse backgrounds. They might have studied film school, but they always said it's so hard for them to find ways to get into the industry and stay in the industry. Um, they feel like there's a bit of a, a click when it comes to the Australian film industry. And even though they, they did the same path, they studied their butts off and, and they, they worked their heart out, but they can't seem to find the right collective that would accept them for who they are. You know, a lot of times they would tell me, yeah, I go on this shoot and people will always ask me about my food. But that's how they connect with me. Oh, yeah, your food's like this in your culture, isn't it? Rather than actually connecting with me through my skill sets or, or, or what, what my passions are and, and so forth. So they do find it in the industry for them, it's hard. So therefore, at Phoenix Eye, we're all coloured people, you know, we're, we all get together. We, we get to express ourselves authentically. So there's no sort of facade and we always want to go, how do we create something that is cinematic? How do we make something from nothing? So these are the questions we're always constantly asking and we're always in pursuit of creating something um, exciting. And in that growth from one project to another, was there any thought given to what you would say yes and no to or was it sort of like I'll say yes to anything as long as they you know they pay me in the early days well I think in the early days you know beggars can't be choosers so I kind of did pretty much I dabbled in different um types of projects just to get a feel because most of the project that we we get like we would do like corporate ads we've never done corporate ads before you know and and I would accept the job saying you know what we're gonna reverse engineer it you know we're gonna figure out the breakdown on how to 
get this video work out there to them, even though we don't have track record record for it. And to be honest, a lot of the, a lot of the times the client is pretty much wanting the goods, not because of the product, but because they can see there's an ability in you and your team to deliver, even though that you might be embarking on a, a, a first of a project. So that was pretty much how we started off. But then over the years, I realized there's certain types of projects that myself and Phoenix side, we connect to. And we realized that we really love um, enriching stories. We always love doing um, diverse stories, but not from the outsider perspective, because a lot of mainstream do that. They, they're from the outside. They look into a community, like as if there's like a, you know, there's snowballs and they, ooh, how fascinating. They shake it up a bit and they go, oh, look at that. Look at the cultures, you know. And it's really annoying to see how that's represented on screen. So we always love to go from within. And um, a lot of the people from Phoenix are all trained facilitators, which trained to listen. And it's about listening and it's not about, oh, I'm here to tell your story. You should be happy, like, which is a lot of like mainstream, um, I guess, um, companies might have done in the past because that's how they saw it. But I, I think it's pretty much about filmmakers, creatives working with the community and listening and, and being sort of being there, being quite, you know, not I'm here to help you. It's more like we're here to connect and, and find ways to create something together. So that's sort of the way we we work when it comes to Phoenix side. And, and, and yes, there are certain projects we do. Um, we, we sort of really want to work with organisations that understand that work. Uh, there's certain organisations that might look like they're working for diversity sometimes, but at the same time, they have a outside a globe, snow globe lens. And we, I have to be really quick to decipher that. You know, I have to be, if they go, oh, yeah, but we need to tick boxes, I'll be like, ooh. I'm like, okay, interesting. Because even though Phoenix Eye is a small collective um, and financially we're not like multi-millionaires or anything, but we have integrity in what we do. And, and we have values that we know that if they were to get confronted and we forego that, that's going to be the end of us. So we were always we're always listening and going, do we really want to work with particular projects, particular groups, um, only because we don't want to undermine the, the thing that we believe in. I love the snow globe analogy. <laughs> like I definitely like viscerally can, <laughs> can feel what that's like. Um, you mentioned working with community. It's interesting in some circles where community is seen as like a, an amateur or, you know, like not legit. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, yeah, like I've, I've been confronted with that a lot. Um, I remembered going uh, when I, in my early days, um, when I first started my company and we would go in and, you know, we dress differently and they come in and, and you can immediately see that they, there's, they're sort of looking for the token, the, the you know, the non-coloured person to talk to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually the, uh, the managing director of this company. Oh, oh, oh really? I'm looking around and I'm like, it's, I'm here, you know. And, and, the, and you can just tell it that there's this sense of, oh, we, we didn't expect you to be this way. And then over the years I realised, you know what, we're going to come in, we're going to be all in uniform, we're going to be all in black holding these big, like, cases. And then we noticed that, okay, we're in uniform. No one's going to dare give us the, the eye, like, oh, you guys look like a bunch of sandpan wannabe filmmakers. You guys have uniform. You guys have a set attire. You have a way of connecting with people. That's professional. Okay, we, we, let, let's, let's get started. So that's sort of the things that I do come across over the years. But then I realised 
um, if you're coming from a culturally diverse background and if you're facing this stuff, you need to not only, of course, deal with it, but also find ways to subvert it. Because if we sit there and we go, oh, no, I can't believe that's just happened to me. And then next thing you know, there's five other things that are similar. And if we don't find creative ways on how to retaliate or how to, to respond, then we'll never, we'll just keep on getting the same thing over and over again. So I'm, I'm sort of quite, uh, nowadays I feel like that's a thing. As a culturally diverse filmmaker, it's about being innovative. And each time you face these, these little subtle racist things, you got to quickly be on your toes to respond back in a clever way to sort of like shock them and not get them to do that again. So, yeah. Mm. I've noticed you've said a couple of times, um, rather than using the term people of colour, you've used coloured. Is, um, is that a thing? Because, because, because I know, for example, with um, disability, there's the social model of disability in terms of saying I am a disabled person or I'm a person with a disability um, is there anything behind that for you or is it is it just something you kind of saying and owning I'm just curious because I know people will be listening and kind of going oh I wonder if that's a thing yeah personally to be honest like it's it's probably a lingo that me and my my guys and my my team would, would say so I mean if I was offending anyone I mean I apologize for it but it's just something that we've pretty much utilised within our, our collective, I guess. Yeah. So, so for you, it's kind of taking taking back that terminology in some ways maybe? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I just I just know that there's people watching who will be like, who will clock it. Um, you mentioned with, um, with companies that there are, you know, some alarm bells <laughs> that of, of when to work with people who um, are perhaps less experienced or who might encounter situations where they're like, well, I want the work, but I've got a bad gut feeling. What are some of the alarm bells for you? How do you figure out whether that's a, I'm going to work with that person or not? It's hard. I'm telling you it's hard because when you're early in your career and I've been there, early in your career, you get an opportunity like, yeah, I get to be in a mainstream TV doing X, Y, Z, right? I'm so excited. And then you get in there and then you sometimes might get, wow, their practices are a bit interesting. Like I would not usually say yes to this, but I'll go with it. But there, there will come to a point where sometimes you'll come to a point where you're like, okay, they've asked me to do something that, you know, I can kind of say yes to make them happy. Um, to potentially advance my career or would this really what I'm going to do damage my community because I live in the community my parents are in the community my aunts and uncles and everyone's connected to my community and you have to think about that and then you have to go which way to go um, I think there's everything's negotiable like Bing Lee <laughs> um, so you can always like really go okay well and, and I think it's about finding your honesty or your authenticity and, and your confidence in being able to articulate this because when you're earlier on in your career people see you as the intern or the newbie and you're learning from us because we're a long-standing company etc etc um, but at the same time there are certain truths and certain values that you've you have that might might be carried on because your, your family shares your community shares it you need to find ways to articulate it with um them and and in a very like transparent way because the more you pretend and you hold on you're trying to chase for maybe they'll give me more opportunities the more later on it will unfold and then if something really detrimental was to happen if you were to go out and get a story that maybe the community might might not have been ready to tell and maybe you know it, it could 
go back to you later on. I mean, they like stories are there, but again, it's about negotiating and talking and listening to the communities to see if this is what they want to say. Yeah. Okay. So you work in a really kind of niche field. A lot of your work is in martial arts films and people from diverse backgrounds are often told to like, go and find your niche audience and go and do that thing. Um, How do you feel that focusing on this particular niche for you has affected your career? Because some people say it opens doors. Some people say pigeonholes them. What has it been for you? I think for me, I I personally, I love martial arts. I love action films. So I, I, I really grew up with that. And I know sometimes people might go, oh, Maria, if you get going to this genre, it might type, typecast you. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I've always been quite, you know, di- like diverse in my abilities. So even if I do like the martial arts stuff and people, when they Google my name, like a bunch of random stuff comes up that doesn't seem to fit, it doesn't matter because I think if you're able to still do these different fields and do it really well, you know, you actually become unique. You actually become irreplaceable. So whenever they go to you for something, they know that they're not just going to you as a director. They're going to you as, oh, she can also do this. She can do that. She can do this. She's multi-talented and she's passionate and driven. So I think even though it is confusing to people, but it doesn't matter because if you're good at something, people will know you for that particular brand of things and you'll still get the job. You're like rejecting the traditional path on more ways than one, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people I find they might feel like slightly like, really? Like, no, Maria, the system is you need to specialise. You either do the acting or you do the directing or you just do the writing and that's it because people spend many, many years on it and you've got to respect that this is how it is. But I'm thinking the world is changing and it's never going to stop changing. So... I think that, and, and time's limited, and I want to try everything I can because I'm fascinated at every area of filmmaking. Why not? So that's how I, I've kind of pursued my my career. Mm. I mean, so you'd be considered a slashy then. You're an actor slash writer slash producer slash lots of other things. And, you know, you call like them. them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> as a slashy, do you think it's important for people to best from diverse backgrounds to be a slashy or um, is it for everyone or is it to be provocative an unfair burden that, you know, because we have to do it out of necessity? What are your thoughts on being a slashy? It's, it's up to the individual. Now, for me, I'm able to be a slashy because I have a lot of energy and I'm always mindful of how do I keep on not, like, having good energy consistently day in and day out, which that's how I have a routine and try to be efficient with my day and also avoid burnout and avoid that sort of chasing attitude. Like, Oh, I've got to chase everything because I don't have enough. So I really think it's up to you because sometimes you might be fascinated on one thing for a very long time. That's good. Stick to that. Go with how you feel. You don't have to be a slashy um, if you don't want to, if you want to specialise in one thing, that's perfectly fine. Um, my sister, she's a writer and that's all she does and she loves it. And, and, I, and I look at her and her sort of trajectory and I realise I, I really respect why she's stuck to one thing because she's really, really good at what she's done. So, again, it's really up to sometimes the field that you're in but also how much energy you've got to sort of divert and spread across the different things. 
You've definitely got a lot of energy. Every time I talk to you, I'm just like, oh, I need a nap now. She had <laughs> so much energy. <laughs> um, so then in, with your work and the way it's improved over the years, because I've seen you go from strength to strength and you just keep making stuff. How do you make sure that uh, in, in addition to just doing the work that your craft is getting better and better? Well, I think for me, um, as I said, when I, when I was much more early in my career, I just kept on doing. I'm a doer. Do this, do that, do a bunch of things. But sometimes in terms of quality, they're not really high. I just do it right just to get off my chest. But as I get older and then I start developing a team and then I start having, you know, local as well as international mentors who would guide me, who would tell me, Maria, that thing you did there, I don't know. And then I'll be like, oh, okay. I would, I would take that on board. Because I realized having people who are there to really help you, look at you from an outsider perspective and say, actually, your performance in this was here or your video work for this thing is, is about here in the world, it gives you information. And that, that information helps you figure out where you put your attention to, to what you hone, to what you keep on developing to be better as you age. So for me, I'm very lucky to have uh, mentors and advisors and and people across the world always giving me information and and quite freely from their heart because they they feel inspired by some of the crazy things I do and sometimes they they want to help out and be a part of that bandwagon but just giving me bits of nuggets so I, I can not keep on you know hitting myself in the head so I really appreciate appreciate having that yeah. Well, it's true because I should say that your energy is infectious. Like after taking a nap, I'll get up and I'll be like, Maria says go. (laughs) (laughs) But um, how do you go about finding those mentors? Because that's a really big thing for a lot of emerging Uh, people. How did you approach? How did you know who to approach? I'll be honest with you. Some of my mentors that I have, in my early days, I spent my years I wouldn't say stalking, but researching, right? Like a little computer hacker, like just just knowing who's who, how they how they moved in their career, and and all that. And then I would try to find them. I would find them online, and then I'll, you will somehow find the emails, right? And then cold emailing. I think I find that that if you cold email, yes, most of the time you'll get rejected, but if you build resilience, you get used to that rejection, right? And then eventually you'll find people who, who want to connect with you, who resonate with what you do. And then you start developing a relationship with them. And it's not going to be like, oh, I've got a mentor now, that's it. You actually have to build um, a relationship with them over the years. You have to share with them. You have to find ways to do things to also help them out so they can also help you out. So, And that's how a lot of the work that I've got internationally is based on that, me being a Australia, doing my research, developing a digital connection relationship with these top mentors, and eventually starting to see that when opportunities happen, I can then, you know, um, the stars align, I can then go overseas to fulfill a role, um, because they know and they've seen my career over the years that I can, can do something. So that's how it all works out for me. You're quite unique in that in, in terms of the way you balance your international and um, Australian career. Can you talk a bit more about that? How have you balanced it? Because typically we see people going to the States or to the UK, but you've gone and done work in across Asia. How have you gone about navigating that? I think um, 
I find that I, I, I like being based here in, in sort of Sydney, Western Sydney, um, because I've built up a base. And, and each time I do go overseas <clears throat> for work, like I feel like I go over there as, in a way, cultural exchange as well, learning like international ways of working, learning international ways of their system, uh, especially in Asia and Southeast Asia and Vietnam, how now the industry is just like booming, right? How they, they make films. They make like, like movies, a feature film, which looks like a Hollywood film for like $800,000 in a matter of eight months you know, from concept to screen, 100 theatres across Vietnam. And I'll go, wow, that's amazing. And then I sort of go, okay, well, what some of the things can I learn about that market that I could bring back to Australia to, to, to figure out how we can start making stuff that connects, you know, connects across the borders? Because I personally don't want to make films just for the Australian film industry. I find the stuff that the things that I'm doing with my collective, it has an international resonance. And, and knowing that if we just keep on going and forging these relationships that maybe my team could be exported to these countries to create work. Because I, I find that in Australia, we do have a, a very systematic way of working, which is very beneficial for, especially in Asian countries. Yet in Asian countries, they have a lot of the locations, they have all their, their gear, they, they usually hire um, people from the, the states, from the US, like the key key directors, uh, you know, uh, DOPs and, and so forth to come and work in, in Asia to make films. So that's sort of some of the things that I'm quite interested in. But of course, it's not like me going, okay, goodbye, Australia. I'm now going to a blah, blah country and then, you know, trying to make it big. It's not about that. It's actually about, you know, I, I love being in Australia and I know that I'm always, wherever I'm going to go, I want to bring stuff back to this area, to, to the place that I grew up in, to the people, the community um, that will benefit from this information. Yeah, we've got a question that's come through which relates to that in terms of the community work. You started your career in the arts at ICE, Intercultural Exchange in uh, Parramatta, uh, when they were quite focused on community development work. How do you think this has impacted your professional practice? The community cultural um, work that I did at ICE, I would say it, it actually, a lot of the stuff that I, I did over the years with their projects, I learned a way of just listening deep engagement and listening that I don't I feel like sometimes it is missing in mainstream um, filmmaking and it, sometimes I feel like in, in mainstream it's just you know going there grabbing the stories and getting out whereas with um, community cultural development work it's, it's this listening it's this exchange it's this you know um, really honoring communities and feeling like it's an honor to be there to be a part of this story rather than as a you know privileged perspective and at the same time, like, I feel like each time when I create something, um, it's not just me. It's not just me with an idea on how it's supposed to look like. I come in there um, with a blank slate. With in, in terms of projects, I come in there ready just to listen, not with what I think of, oh, there's this technique or there's this way of doing things. I just want to listen and immerse myself in the context of any project that I embark on. And through that process of after I listen, my team listen, we'll sit down, we'll have our own meeting and then we can start coming up with different ideas on how to do things. And then we go back and then we present our ideas and then we have the community respond to it. You know, whether they like this or they don't like this, it's up to them, you know, and we watch that exchange happen. So, and I find that a lot of the projects when we, we complete it, it might not have been like what it started in the beginning, but whatever it is that we create, 
it's always going to be something that really is impactful and resonates with the community we're working at, with the audience that we're working at. So that's sort of the mindset that I, I got a chance to cultivate during the time of working uh, as a community cultural development um, practitioner. I love that because in nowhere in those sentences did you say the word consultation. <laughs> it's deep listening, um, you know, going back and collaborating and, change and and being willing to change. So that's really great. Now, we've got a question and this question I love that's come from the audience. Can you tell us an amusing story from being a slashy and an independent filmmaker like chasing down Jackie Chan, shooting on the run, maybe without council approval, although... We after does not endorse that at all. But um, tell us a story. <laughs> a story. You said a funny story or just that they've asked for an amusing story. I think this is you know they obviously know you. <laughs> I'll be honest, there's a story that I, I it always sticks in my head. I was in China working on a film called Fist of the Dragon, and I had like um, the director had to leave for a bit, so I had to kind of stand in and figure out this this action scene. And I remember that the moment, I wouldn't say it's funny, but at that moment, because I came over from Australia to be part of this action team to develop the choreography, but it was that moment where I realised, holy moly, I'm now being handed over this task of overseeing this fight scene or this this movement with a 100 crew looking at me and having pretty much the main cast look at me going, what, you're going to show me how to punch? Like... And at that moment, just kind of like, there's a part of me that's like a little girl, like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do? And, and then there's a part of me for a split second having to go, okay, toughen up, Maria. Okay, this is what we're going to do, okay? Now, blah, blah, blah. And I had to really, but inside I was screaming. I was freaking out, right? Because obviously I'm not, I wasn't trained into doing this, but I was put on the spot and I had to do it, you know, because I knew the director, Anthony Sita, was going to come back and he's going to go, okay, well, what did you shoot, right? So I had to really pull it together and go, Okay, be firm, be, be confident and tell him what what's needs to be done. And to be honest, sometimes when I give directions, I don't know. You know, I don't know until you go on screen, you go, that works. Oh, wow, that, that really works. But you don't tell people, oh, my God, I got it. You kind of go, oh, yeah. You kind of have to keep it like in, you know, firm and, and sort of mellow. But, you know, sometimes it's just about, I feel like when it comes to directing, it's just more about, you know, really um, maintaining that that sort of, leadership aura so that people can do things so that you can see if it works or not so i would say it's a funny story but for me it was a, a story of me being oh my god yeah i'm so freaking scared what do i do and then me also putting on the actor face and just really okay we need you to like do this now what do you think you know that kind of thing so yeah awesome and what are you working on right now and where to from here for maria tran Right now, right now I'm trying to finish my first feature film. So it's a one location feature film in my place, um, a psychological action thriller migrant story. I know it's, it's like it's, it's got every element of everything. And, and it's just I've got these two major fight scenes that I need to get done so I can finish the, the whole film itself um, because we're kind of like shooting and editing Um along the way because I haven't storyboarded anything because when I film stuff I'm kind of like because I've done stuff overseas when it comes to actions so I kind of get a sense of what to shoot but at the same time I got to also prove it to the team that I'm not shooting a bunch of things that don't match up in the editing room so after I shoot next thing you know I have to go get ingested and then sit there with an editor and go yep that that, that matches yep that that sells okay done 
wrap next next thing and we're moving at a fast pace because overseas i'm used to working like on jackie chan films he's moving at rapid pace he knows the shots in his head he knows what goes what stitches together he knows how the actors are supposed to do what to deliver the performance so i have been blessed to have worked with some of these amazing people who who show me how they work and i'm able to borrow elements of that and also be able to apply it to the work that I do, because it, it is hard to get funding in Australia, um, to be honest with you, but that shouldn't deter you. If you don't get the resources and the funding, you find ways to make it yourself. You pull together your, your parents, your family, the dog, your friends, the community, you, you, you inspire them about this project or this story that you want to embark on. And you'd be surprised how many people come towards that. People are drawn towards energy and the people are drawn towards people who are confident and who consistently deliver things that resonate with the world. Amazing. Okay, final question, um, and it's kind of a two a two for one. It's 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 the typical what advice do you have for emerging creators? But it's also wrapped in what would you say the little girl Maria who's like ah what would you say to her that you know now um, that you would want that person to know? Ah, oh, I'll be honest with you. Like I wouldn't tell her anything. I'll just let her stumble along the way because I realize the more you fail. The more you keep on stuffing up and, and, oh, my gosh, reach all these dead ends and then find yourself how to crawl out all these scary situations, that's how you forge your personality. That's how you forge your character. So really, like, um, you can read all the books or the self-help books and all of that stuff, but there's so much you can process and you only process things when you apply it, when you get practical with who you are and go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that's uncomfortable for me, but then now I'm going to push the boundaries. Why? Unpackage why certain things um, that you, you, you don't feel comfortable. Because I think when you start exploring yourself a bit more, then you can start developing, pushing your boundaries and your range and then realizing, oh, wow, I can do that. You've been listening to Talks at Afters, an Australian film, television and radio school podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes. For show notes and other resources, head to afters.edu.au. That's afters.edu.au.